0: Welcome to the PokePress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode has two segments. For the first, I interview Erica Schroeder, a longtime voice actor in the Pokemon dub. We talk about how she got into the anime, her work as the singing voice of Meloetta, and her roles in the recently released movie, Pokemon, The Power of Us. The second segment covers the music of the 14th Pokemon movies. And no, that isn't a mistake. And from Boogie Podcasts helps we sort out the extra large amount of material we had to cover this time around. Listen to find out if two songs from Every Little Thing, or the two versions of Follow Your Star, come out on top. Thanks. Hi, I'm Stephen Reich here at the Alliant Energy Center in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm here at Wizard World Comic Con 2018. I'm here with Erica Schroeder, who is a voice actor for many years in the Pokemon anime. And Erica, we just have a few questions we want to ask about you and your career. First of all, how did you get involved in voice acting?
1: Well, I went to school for a Bachelor of Fine Arts in theater performance, and then I'd say, I think it was about 2002, I got an audition for Ultraman Tiga, which is a live action series, and I landed one of the lead roles in that, and then kind of that sort of started the whole web spreading. But it was a life goal that I set when I was like eight years old, that I wanted to be the voice of an animated cartoon character.
0: Gotcha there. Now, as far as Pokemon goes, you started, I forget exactly when. I know one of your first major roles is in the seventh or eighth season. You started as uh, Nurse Joy. How did that come about?
1: Um, I started in season six as Nurse Joy. Um, I think I actually played like a little bully character first. I can't remember what his name was um, in one guest episode. But um, Megan Hollings had moved to the L.A. She was moving to L.A., um, to the West Coast, and so they needed a voice replacement for her. I didn't know who I was going to be auditioning for To Replace. Um, I just knew that that the person who voiced that character was leaving, and so I went in and auditioned for Nurse Joy and got the role. Ironically, she also played my Valentine in Yu-Gi-Oh, and I auditioned separately for that and got that as well. So I must be a good uh, vocal and emotional match for for Megan. So I, I owe a lot to her. Thank you, Megan, for moving to the West Coast.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, You know, sometimes you just gotta be in the right place at the right time. All right, well let's talk about some of your more recent roles. Uh, the folks at home may have noticed you have a little, uh, actually it's, it's, I just had uh, serendipity to bring in a little Meloetta doll, <laughs> but actually you voiced that character in the black and white uh, version of the anime. Uh, what was that kind of like?
1: It was wonderful, I actually, I don't know if people know the way it worked, but I actually, I didn't voice her for her you know, regular stuff, I only voiced her songs. Because um, they used the uh, Japanese voice actress for anything that when she wasn 't singing, so it was awesome. I, I really enjoyed it um, well, i didn 't get any sheet music, so that was interesting and there 's so many different vowels in uh, the Japanese language that I sort of had to like listen for um, and modify to sort of capture those but um, It it ended up being like one of the more impressive roles to my daughter, which was exciting because she just like, she loves the way Meloetta looks, she loves the way Meloetta sounds, so that was kind of exciting for her to learn that I did that.
0: All right, there's one other thing we kind of want to talk about though with Pokemon. Uh, As we're recording this, we you just released or the Pokemon Company just released the newest movie The Power of Us uh, not to be confused with an earlier movie but you actually have a few roles in that one why don't you tell us about those
1: sure I play the mayor's daughter and that's Margot. the mayor's daughter's name is Margot. she's real cute and little and pink, uh, pink hair and a little yellow bow in her hair. Um, She's a real pivotal character in this uh, film. Um, And I also play um, a couple of of other characters. Let's see here, Wobbuffet. I took over for Casey Rogers in um, Sun and Moon. And I also play Evie, which was very exciting and a ton of fun. Um, And the other two characters that I played uh, were Teddy Ursa and um, I just told you, Ditto, Ditto. And there was actually a scene or two with Margot, Ditto, and Teddy Ursa and nobody else on screen. So it was funny because I voiced um, the Pokemon first. And then I discovered that I was going to be playing Margot, and I went back in and voiced her and then realized I had a couple of scenes all by myself.
0: Yeah that's really uh, neat seeing the logistical stuff. Now did you do the two Pokemon voices when you have multiple characters in a scene like that is it typical that you will do one character then the other character then the other character? Do you ever try and mix and match within the same like vocal thing or do they try to separate that out?
1: It's, it depends on what the director is feeling like is the priority for that day, for the deadlines and stuff like that. But typically I will voice uh, one character, and typically it'll be the higher voiced character first, all the way through. So if I have like four episodes that day or something, I'll do, let's say, Teddy Ursa, I would do like all four episodes of Teddy Ursa or Sylveon, right? And then when I'm finished with that, then I would do Fett because you want to do the smoother and higher voiced stuff first and then the rougher and lower textured stuff just for vocal preservation you wouldn't want to do it the other way around because then Sylveon would sound kind of Sylvian could sound scratchy or something like that so that's kind of how we do it sometimes it's based on um, what Lisa Ortiz is the current director she's wonderful to work with um, what the deadlines are and then but most of the time she's very kind to me and asks me what I would like to do first and she knows now she doesn't have to ask me she knows I like to do higher to lower
0: that's some really great inside info. I'm glad we were able to find out about that as well. Some great facts about uh, the new Power of Us movie. It's getting some good buzz, so I, I think you're pretty proud of your work there, aren't you? I
1: am pretty proud of it. It's been great, and I got to see it twice in the theater, which is amazing. Um, I wanted to see it with my kids because it was the first time I got to be in a movie theater watching something that I'd worked on with my children, and I, it was really a special thing, a really special thing, because I've been with the show for so long and now they are huge Pokemon fans, particularly my son, he's a massive Pokemon fan. Oh, and I have to tell you this, my daughter and I had premieres the same week, because um, she is in Mirai, Mamoru Hasada's Mirai, which, yes, yeah, so I saw it um, last night, so that's why I flew in this morning, it was kind of crazy, but um, and then I got to see the Pokemon movie again, with the cast. So it was really fun. There was about maybe 25 of us that saw it together.
0: Awesome. Love learning these types of things. All right. Well, thank you very much, Erica. Thank you for having me. This has been Stephen Reich at the Alliant Energy Center at Wizard World Comic-Con 2018. Hi, folks. Stephen here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PQP Podcast. And we're here to talk to you about the music of the 14th Pokemon movie, Pokemon Movie Black Slash White, Victini and Reshiram Slash Zekrom. I believe that I have gotten those in the correct order in each time there. So this is the two movie set that they did that have very similar plot lines, but not quite the same and some differences between them. And musically, they did some 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 different things on each side of the ocean. Uh, in Japan, they have a band called Every Little Thing that did two different songs, one for each movie. And then in the English version, we have two different versions of the same song, Follow Your Star. There's the ideals mix in the Zekrom movie and the truth mix in the Reshiram movie. So... A lot of stuff to talk about there, because there's a lot of people involved. I think Anne and I both had to do a little extra work (laughs) on this one, but that's okay.
2: It was fun. It was worth it.
0: All right. Well, we divide this into three segments. We're going to talk about the production background, then the songs themselves, and then sort of do a compare and contrast and decide which one we like best. But uh, we start each phase on the Japanese side and... Anne, why don't you start by talking a little bit about Every Little Thing, the Japanese group.
2: Yes. Um, So Every Little Thing uh, is also known as ELT. They debuted in 1996, and they continue to be active today. They are one of the best-selling artists in Japan. Um, If you're a fan of anime or Japanese music, you have probably heard of them. I'm kind of a big fan of them myself. And they are a pop slash soft rock duo. They originally debuted as a trio, uh, starting when Kaori Mochira, just off of a somewhat unsuccessful stint in a girl group called Kurobuta All Stars, she sent in a demo to the AVIX tracks label, uh, wanting to be a solo artist, at the same time that Mitsuru Igarashi was looking for a singer to form a unit with him and his keyboard, and he just happened to know this other guy named Ichiro Ito, who was off playing Van Halen cover songs at the U.S. airbase, and somehow the stars aligned and these three formed a group. Igarachi, the middleman, he left after a couple of albums and left uh, Kaori and Ichiro to go on as a duo. And they seem to have made that work for them, despite there being a 10-year age gap between them. Um, According to Ichiro Ito, when he first met Kaori Mochida, she was this little teenager decked out in yaru fashion, and he was just staring at her like, I don't even know how to relate to you. But again, they seem to have made it work. Before Igarashi left, uh, every little thing had a more synthesized pop rock sound. Uh, But after he and his keyboarding skills left, ELT was just a singer and a guitarist, so it forced them to change their sound a bit and evolve. And because the dude left with barely any warning right before a tour, Kaori and Ichiro decide to go ahead with the tour and just keep touring for two years as an acoustic act and try to figure out who they were musically now. And that gave rise to the sound they're known for today, more of the soft rock, light pop sound. And this also gave them a bit more creative freedom uh, like that because, you know, the guy in charge left. So now Kaori starts writing more songs. um, They start changing the type of music and the type of lyrics they they do, and they see a rise in sales and attention, and they started charting higher on the Oricon billboard, which is a Japanese music industry sales ranking. Um, and they got what every artist hopes for, which is commercial tie-ins, and some of the ones you listeners might recognize are some of classic anime like Initial D and Inuyasha. And as of now, they have reconnected with the former bandmate, Igarashi. He often composes and produces for them. And the duo is currently still active. Their last album was released in 2015, Tabi Tabi. And their general sound, that sort of soft rock power pop sound, has remained fairly consistent, but there is some variation from album to album. Um, Notably, it seems like every year, Kaori just keeps singing higher and more cutesy. By the time her career is over, I expect her to be straight up shattering glass, Um, but they always kind of gravitate to a very soft and sweet sound and and kind of hang out in that type of feel that suits her voice pretty well. Kauri has a few solo projects. She she actually originally intended to debut as a solo artist, so over time she took over a lot more musical control of both uh, the band, writing songs and lyrics, but also producing solo albums, um, but even through her solo cu- career, she was still just as involved in ELT. Ichiro has also produced a solo album called Diversity in 2009. He, he's a quieter guy in the public eye, so I found a lot less info on him. Whereas Kaori's done like a truckload of commercials and shows and writing songs for other people, but Ito does do composition and arranging work for both the band and for other people, it seems. So, he, and he can be seen around like variety shows from time to time. Um, so like both of them are still very active in Japanese media.
0: Okay, well, that explains who the band is for this one. Uh, Any idea how they got involved in this project, whether the songs were written for the movie or anything like that?
2: Um, Well, as usual, all evidence appears to be that the Pokemon Company contacted them or their label and asked them to compose songs for this movie. I imagine, given the nature of the movie and the results that were produced, they were a bit more aware of the movie's themes and production going in, because this is a slightly bigger project than some of the past songs have been. But it looks like they were contracted out of house to produce the ending themes. Sora Koe translates as Sky and Voice, respectively, and it released as a single in July of 2011. Uh, the lyrics were written by Kaori, lead singer of the band. Um, the music was done by a man named Kazuhito Kikuchi, um, who is a composer and songwriter active in Japan for years and years, writes a lot for the AVIX tracks label that... Every little thing is on. Um, His big claim to fame is that he's one of the main composers for Hamasaki Ayumi and he's all over her stuff. So you've probably heard him. The arrangement, as far as I can tell, is always credited as Every Little Thing. So I imagine that means Ito had some input as well into this track. And yeah, that's that's the background information. They were coupled together and released um, as an A side and. It technically, Koei is the B-side, although a lot of people think it really should be called a double-A-side. But Sora is the one that gets the the music video and all the, the big promo stuff outside of the two movies. So,
0: Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that, whether this would be considered a, a double-A-side, where you have to try to put two hit songs on, on, on a single in the old days. That would have been on like a 45 on on both sides of the record. Uh, which I Mm -hmm. guess means I don't think this ever got a vinyl release, but if they ever did that, that would be a good candidate, I suppose.
2: (laughs) Indeed, indeed.
0: Well, that takes care of the Japanese side of production. On the English side, we have a number of people involved, but I think this will line up a bit more uh, directly, if you know what I mean. So, Follow Your Star. Two of the people who wrote it are the usual people you would expect for this era, John Leffler and I believe David Wolfert was also involved on that. Now, they did bring in another writer, and that is Alex Knackman, who should be a familiar name because he actually performs the ideals mix for the Zekrom movie. And not long after this came out, I had a chance to interview Alex, and he goes into some of the details about what the process was. It sounds like they were trying to go for a, uh, two versions of the same song pretty much straight from the start rather than trying to create two totally different songs, and that was how things sort of came about that way. Now, John Leffler and David Wolfert, you, like I said, they've been working on things since the beginning of uh, the dub switchover, for, so since like season nine. Alex Knackman is one of the new names here. Let me give you a little biographical info. He grew up a little ways north of New York City in, I guess, Sleepy Hollow. Uh, yes, that Sleepy Hollow, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and uh, moved to Brooklyn and got into a career in music, eventually wound up working with uh, John Loeffler on various things, and that's kind of how he got involved here. Um, Today we'll the interview. We talk about his recently released album. I believe it was called uh, This Revolution. Since then, in 2017, he did put out one more album, and that's called Above Sirens, which I guess is sort of a, a reference to living in New York City where there's always something going on. Um, it, you know, having having uh, visited there a couple times, I think that's probably what he was going for with that. But we talk a lot about this song in that interview, and some of those details will work their way in here, but I strongly recommend you take a listen to that. hmm Now, I mentioned there are two mixes. There's the Ideals mix tr- sung by Alex and the Truth mix sung by Catherine Rayo. So Catherine has somewhat of a similar background. I did an interview with her, very lucky on this one to be able to talk to most of the principal players. But she has more of a, I guess, a kid-friendly background, because she has worked with uh, stuff for Sesame Street, and uh, apparently back in like the late 90s, for the WB station in New York, she was part of a, a group that they had there that did some like special promos and stuff like that. So... Technically, her stuff, you know, with Pokemon, in a way, goes back pretty far. But she tends to do a lot of commercial work. And uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to find too much recent. It appears that she had a song used in 2017 in a Lexus commercial. But that was Mm. about the most I could find for her. I assume she's still working in uh, children's entertainment in some capacity. But hasn't done too much else with Pokemon. She did do a song for the Eevee short which would have gone along with the uh, Genesect movie, I believe. And, of course, Alex and Catherine would team up to do the rival Destiny's theme, which would be the next season right after this one and the opening theme for the Caldeo movie. So that's a lot of names there. Hopefully you could keep that all straight. But, yeah, basically, <laughs> as far as the actual songs for ending this on the English side, they were going for two different versions of the same song rather than two separate songs is sort of the the short version of all of that.
2: Nice, nice.
0: All right. Well, with some of the production stuff at least out of the way, let's talk about the content. Again, we're going to flip over to the Japanese side. I guess we'll have to discuss these songs one by one. Let's start with The Sky, and uh, what's sort of the overall instrumentation of that song?
2: Well, we can talk about that. I find it very difficult to talk about these two songs separately, because they really do form two halves of a whole. But for mm. for The Sky, Sora, it kind of starts out like soft, but upbeat. And it, it starts off with her voice and some, you know, just classic, you know, three-piece band type instrumentation. There's a guitar, there's a vocalist, there's some drums, a little bit of keyboard. And it it has build and stuff and emotional movement, but it kind of stays the same throughout, which is a very distinct contrast to Koi, which starts off a bit quieter and somber and like synthetic water droplets and all sorts of things, and then builds to this roaring electric guitar and all sorts of fun craziness. That That's kind of the instrumentation, and it is an interesting juxtaposition to the the lyrics and the plot of the two songs because Sora, while it seems to be the more upbeat and cheery when the song first starts, it's lyrically much more depressing and and quieter and, Like like a struggle to find the hope, whereas Koei starts off and it sounds like it's going to be this quiet, introspective piece, and it turns out to be the one that's just brimming with energy and joy and and hope and, you know, have a strong heart. So I I find that juxtaposition of music to lyrics very interesting, and the fact that both musically and lyrically, these songs echo each other and answer each other. So it's very difficult to talk about them separately, but...
0: Interesting. So would you say then that these were not created, I don't know if in a vacuum is the right phrase to to use there, but in other words, they were created in tandem or with respect to one another, it sounds like?
2: With respect to one another and with respect to the movie and the creative goal that they were going through with having two different ending themes and two different soundtracks for each movie and... Let's see, like, yeah, because Sora, the sky, much as it sounds upbeat and cheery at the start, it's the one that's talking about like I'm lonely and it's so hard to believe in hope and and, you know the sky's growing dimmer and dimmer and all the lights are going out and and then Koei which starts off a bit softer is the one that talks about like happiness and strong heart and like spreading happiness and there are points where the lyrics are exactly the same just at different parts of the song and points where one like alludes to the other the ending of Koei seems to answer where Sora ends and where Sora ends, K- Koi seems to begin right there. It, it's they almost form a loop. It's so so fascinating.
0: So, do you think there was an intention, at least on some level, for these songs to be played back to back in any way?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I almost don't know if it matters which one you start with or not. Possibly Sora, like because it's the A side, and Koi definitely seems to have more of an answering than a prompting. But yeah, like, I definitely feel like if you listened to the single, you're getting a complete story. You're getting a beginning and a middle and an end.
0: So between the two songs, I guess, is how we're going to have to take a look at this. What parts, like, lyrically sort of match up with things in the movie do you feel?
2: Um... Okay, so looking at Koei first, um, The Voice, there's a lot of talk about like, you know, youth is vibrant and, you know, the past was full of joy. But as time goes on, you start feeling lonely and you start crying and you start feeling regret and missing people. Like like so many things that seem to talk about Victini and that how having a strong heart and and it being fortunate that you passed by here, wanting to tell – live on and to be able to tell him something like, you know, it's Victini's relationship to the king, being able to meet Ash. Like there's so many lines about that. Um, And then I'm going to switch over to the sky, Sora here really quick. And there's a lot more of the sense of the passage of time and that scene of like in the evening sky, the moon dimming and it swallows the world and a loss can bring forth something new and confirming your tomorrow and like just continuing and continuing and continuing to live on. But at the same time, days that will not last forever. And then again, more loss, <laughs> um, having dreams of like, like definitely someday, but the days seem and aimless. Like there's a whole lot that you can relate to the story and the journey that Victini goes through. You could possibly relate it to the people of, of that kingdom that Damon and everybody lives in, you know, having lost all the vibrancy after, after the war between the hero of truth and hero of ideals. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot that could relate to this movie.
0: I see. Yeah. Having you explain the lyrics, I did look up a translation before we started this. I think that adds probably a fair bit of value to these. I don't want to say they're badly composed or anything. They're decently well, but they're not, I wouldn't say so amazingly well written and composed that if you didn't know the lyrics, you would be really impressed by them. Not to say that the lyrics are maybe the most awesome thing ever either. But I'm just saying that I think knowing the lyrics gives more value, I guess, to it. Um, Is is that about right?
2: I would definitely say um, every little thing has a style and they have a wheelhouse. And I don't know how to phrase this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm bagging on them, because I'm not. I really do like their music. But they definitely have a style of composing their songs that is less, less of a variation, I guess. So they will always have that happy key. And, you know, her voice is always going to be very soft and very soothing and very pleasant. Even if she's singing about something very sad, she's not going to suddenly turn into this sultry, seducing singer or this you know very slow and somber singer she's always gonna have that slightly cutesy positive type voice and that's just their you know musical voice so i definitely think being able to understand the lyrics when it comes to the songs of this group is an asset into understanding what they're singing about because it there's not going to be a huge range of instrumentation, because they, uh, they did, you know, spend so long touring as an acoustic act, just the two of them. So even though they have other musicians on their CD or backing them up when they perform sometimes, it, it's it's the guitar and the girl, and that's it. <laughs> that's what they focus on. So yeah, I definitely think you have a point when you bring that up, is that when you can't understand the lyrics, there's not a lot musically that's going to really... Drive home the point of the song and the contrast between the two songs in a way that, say, the compositional style that we, it, we see in the two English songs.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I guess we'll be moving on to that shortly. I, I guess the other thing I did kind of want to mention is that um, I think it's The Sky has sort of a false ending, at least if you listen to the, like the CD version. Uh, one thing I found kind of interesting, these two songs, they are not the same length there's probably about 20 or 30 seconds difference however about four and a half minutes into the sky it kind of goes silent for a moment and then there's some instrumentation that comes back in and the voice happens to be about four and a half minutes long so that was just something i noticed structurally because obviously the credit sequence is going to be more or less the same between the two versions right and uh, i figure how are you going to square that without having to make sure the two songs in the english side they're they're by design going to be similar duration, but in the Japanese version, if they are in fact writing two different songs, there's a little harder to work that one out.
2: That makes sense. Yeah, being that Sora is kind of similar in style throughout, it's the one that if it's a shorter song, it's most easily to add on a bit of an extended outro to make it fit the entire credits sequence whereas Koei starts in one place and ends in a very different place so it would be much more difficult I think.
0: All right well with that being said I think it's uh, about time we move over to the English side. Follow your star. So both versions have more or less the same lyrics but definitely different instrumentations and styles. Let's go with the ideals mix that's the first version i heard because that was the one used in the Zekrom movie which if you may recall there was a limited theatrical event showing of this across the united states at least back when this originally came out and so that's the version i heard first uh, since i did get to see the credits in that version if you go back to the interview I did with Alex, it has more of a dreamlike quality. He says, "I, I would kind of agree with that because, of course, ideals are supposed to be something more aspirational." Um, do you feel that the this version of the song does that, Anne?
2: Yeah, I do. It very much seems a lot more internalized and contemplative. Um, not not necessarily in a slow way, because the song has quite a bit of energy. But yeah, definitely. Uh, Again, it's hard to talk about these two in isolation, you almost have to talk to them together, because Truth is very much like I am, I feel like the singer is talking to me directly, telling her truth, whereas Ideals, I feel like the guy is talking more to himself. Like, just in the way the song is mixed and presented, it feels less directed and specific through its instrumentation and the the mixing techniques on the vocals.
0: You know, that hadn't really totally occurred to me, but I, I think I think you're right about that that the the ideals version is probably a little more introspective and talking to oneself versus the the truth, which is uh by Catherine Rayo, which is I think more uh more instructive or outgoing. Yeah. But yeah, I think you are kinda right, and it is kinda hard to talk about these in isolation. You kinda do have to put them side by side at least in terms of like instrumentation. And um, I guess I, I kind of wanted to say something about the uh, the truth mix with Catherine uh, with sort of the instruments. I noticed the the guitars aren't as loud or maybe as bass heavy as they could be. And <laughs> I, I wonder if that was maybe to avoid covering up because I think not that women can't do rock vocals, they can, um, but Catherine has a rather high voice. In, in fact, I think there's almost kind of a... A parallel. Although I think the two singers are relatively close in age. I think there might be some parallels between the two of them and also the two members of Every Little Thing in some ways. <laughs> um, not sure exactly why. I think Catherine might have more of a, a childlike, uh, spirited uh, performance quality. Um, hmm. That's kind of what I was going for there, but – Long story short, I think the guitars, I kind of wish they were a little bit louder, but that might have covered up some of her vocals or something like that. Does that occur to you at all, Anne?
2: It would have changed the mix, definitely. That could be a reason for it. Like, without looking at the DAW ourselves and testing it out, we'll never know. But for my part, I don't feel like anything is lacking, because that song is all about her voice, let's face it. But it would be interesting to hear it with a different or a more fleshed out, um, Base quality and just to just to compare, definitely.
0: So maybe that's a, a sort of a mishmash you could do, sort of combine elements from both. That might be a good cover opportunity for someone out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I guess we sort of contrasted sort of the instrumentation and whatnot. What about the the vocals? Like I said, the the lyrics, I should say, are pretty much the same between both. Uh, I have a few ideas about what I think this is describing. Like from the movie, like the follow your star, obviously that's, you know, I'm not sure how often that gets used in everyday conversation, but uh, it usually means that you have some sort of dream or goal and you're progressing towards that, which I guess applies to several different characters in the movie. I think most notably Victini and uh, Damon are sort of antagonists. He he does cause the problems in the movie, although his motives are a little more pure. What, what do you think about that, Anne?
2: Well, honestly... I'm of two minds, because on the one hand, I feel like the theme of, like, following your dream, following your star, while it has a presence in this movie, most notably with, with Damon and, like, the ideals that he's trying to create in the world or the truth he's trying to follow, I, I do feel that the way the song presents that sort of follow of your dreams mentality is much of the lesser through lines of the movie. I feel like if that was what they were going for, there were so many other ways to tackle it or so many other themes to hit upon. At the same time, the truth and ideals of Pokemon are exactly what this song is like being a good friend and following your dream, following your star, finding your place in the universe and helping other people to do the same. So like, I feel like this is the one, one of the few movies where it, the English side is not as literally tied into the movie as I've come to expect, so it's kind of throwing me a little. But on for my part, I'd say that following your dream, following your star is one of the sub-sub themes of this movie compared to all the other stuff that people are dealing with in that story.
0: <laughs> well, I guess I should ask you then, I, I I agree with some of what you said there, but um, what would you say the main sort of theme of this movie then is then I I guess I'm a little perplexed by your response there at least parts of it
2: it might be a perception thing but yeah for me like the movie is very definitely about like you need both sides of a story to see truth and, and and the nature of conflict and the way that two people can see an entirely different story based upon which point of view they have and uh, the nature of conflict and that we cannot get at the goal without, like, both sides, even though both sides are so completely different. Like, uh, like, to to get to the metaphor of this movie's existence, like, this movie cannot be canon for the sole reason that there's no way both of these movies could have happened at the same time in the way they happened. Like, they just, there are parts that are completely different and don't mesh. But at the same time, you need both the black movie and the white movie in order to get the full sense of the story and in both the the black and white video games and the unova series as a whole that's a theme that constantly comes up that this movie illustrates is that even though both sides cannot reconcile there are details that will ne- will never be agreed upon did he have a this or did he have a that did they go this way did they go that way but you at the same time, need both of those things together to get the whole story. And with the both of those things that still clash and don't quite mesh, you get a better picture, you get a better movie experience. So I feel like because that is what the entire project of this movie was built around, I feel like that those sorts of themes – would have been a much more powerful thing to target for the ending theme than following your dreams, which is a legitimate thing that does come up in this movie and comes up all the time in Pokemon. And like, I don't want to jump back too far into Sorokoi, but I feel like what they were doing musically fits in a bit more with that, that creative project, but. What's going on musically on the English side fits definitely into that creative project. So, again, I'm of two minds because musically, like what Alex did captures that theme perfectly. But lyrically, I feel like they're, they focused on a theme that is not as prominent. Hmm. But maybe that's a good thing because, again, musically, they are doing exactly what this movie is meant to do. So...
0: Well, I think that uh, what you just said there is going to make our third segment very interesting, <laughs> at least on your end.
2: Yeah, I, I have thoughts about this this movie. There's a lot going on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that lyrically this song fits well with sort of the main thrust of the series in terms of striving mm-hmm. to meet your goals and, uh, and things like that. So I guess we have to give it that. But, you know... I don't know. I mean, I don't dislike the lyrics. I think they're reasonably well made, but I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I really know how to respond to your sort of. Uh,
2: well, you don't have to respond to to mine. Like y- you seem to have had a, a different before I went off on my diatribe. You seem to have had a, a slightly different opinion of the lyrics. So, like, like how were you feeling about it before I you know took things and took them sideways?
0: <laughs> I'd have to. I'd have to look at. I mean, I list, I've listened to both songs relatively recently. Uh, obviously having just watched the movie, I just wish I feel like I should have more to say here and I just don't. So guess I have to apologize to you folks out there for maybe not being as prepared as I thought. I think Anne has well, I don't know if she's disproven me or anything like that, but I
2: might just be more more passionate about this subject. It it definitely seems like in this song the music speaks to both of us, and maybe that's maybe that's why. Maybe everything the lyrics are saying and everything the music is saying, like they are both very powerful to you.
0: I suppose. Well, I think that might be about all we can kind of get there. Um, I guess we're going to go on to part three, and that is where we sort of compare and contrast, which we've already done a little bit, and sort of pick out which one we might like more than the other, if there is a a clear leader here. Obviously with three and a half songs or something like that, I guess (laughs) maybe that's going to be a little bit tricky to come to a verdict this time around. But... um, Anne, I think we usually let you go first. Um, I think we've compared and contrasted fairly well. Uh, do you have a pick, and and what does uh, that side do better, I guess?
2: Oh, my gosh. Do I have a pick? It's – this – every time I listen to any any of these songs, any version of the songs, I'm like, oh, I like this the best. And then I play the next one. And it's like, no, I like this the best. And that – like, it just keeps going in a loop. The fact is, like, when this project was announced, like, we're doing two different movies and they're going to be slightly different and they're going to, and we just kept learning more. Like, they're going to have two different soundtracks and they're going to have two different ending themes and all this. Like, I remember at the time, if you listen to my podcast, you heard, like, I was just like, how does this even work? What does this movie mean? Like, what's going on? And, but I was so excited about the project and I feel like, On both sides, the English and the Japanese, like there is such a beauty and a creative ambition to the entire Best Wishes series, but in this movie specifically. And the music, I think, is where they really got the best of that with so much, so much craft and care and attention. And it's really hard for me to pick a a favorite. I think for personal personal just the one i like to listen to i like koe the best i like voice but again i don't feel like i can talk about them separately so i like sorakoe as the package because i feel like for a very weird change this one is slightly more lyrically and literally tied to the movie than the english side and i feel that that just gives it that little bit of edge in just the overall creative masterpiece but really both sides like, this was such a, an ambitious idea for a theatrical movie release, and both sides hit it out of the park. So,
0: <laughs> okay, well, uh, I guess from my end, I, I don't know. Like I said, I did read through a translation of the Japanese one, Japanese songs, and I think lyrically those might be more better tied to the movie. But if I had to pick a pair of these to listen to, it's probably going to be the English one just because. I think that side does the musicality of those better, mm. and you know, maybe the ultimate answer slash version of all of this would have been to sort of use um, something more akin to the instrumentation differences of the English side and maybe the lyrical tyings of the Japanese side. But I guess which one I prefer is probably going to be the, the two English side songs. But uh, there's a question we definitely have to ask here. Um, And do you think it would have been worthwhile to maybe try and translate the Japanese ones? Would that have worked out stylistically? Or or what do you think there?
2: I think it would have been very difficult on this one just because of the cadence. Like there's an an entire genre on YouTube of people trying to do Japanese covers and then trying to make songs that don't rhyme in the same way we, like the English language (laughs) rhymes, now rhyme in English. So I think this is one that, you could do it, but it would be very difficult because there are parts like in "Koi," where the lyrics are exactly the same as they are in Sora, but the rhythm is different. The placement is different. So you'd have to work really hard to get it to fit and still have it have the same effect of echoing the other song and answering the other song. So I, I definitely think it could be done. And it, as a creative project, it's always worth it. But it would have been a lot of work, so I can definitely see why maybe that was not the option they chose.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of interesting possibilities here, and this is obviously one of the more convoluted ones to try to parse and sort of figure out, you know, which one you kind of prefer there. So I'm not sure I have a real great answer other than what I just said there, that musically I kind of prefer the English ones and... Something is definitely, even though you can translate the Japanese lyrics, something is kind of lost there that I think mm. makes it not work perhaps as well. But none of these are bad songs in my book, and uh, I'm I'm glad they're they're all out there. Well, I I think this discussion has shown that there's a lot of permutations and questions we can ask and. For the sake of time, I think we're going to kind of have to move on from there. So I guess this is one of our ones where we didn't come to as well-defined of an answer as maybe we would have liked with these, uh, not just in terms of quality, but on some other things. We may revisit this movie at some other time if, say, they ever do a dual release again. Um, I don't know if they're ever going to try that one again, Anne. What do you think?
2: (laughs) I, I don't know, but I'd be happy to. This is a movie I feel I get more out of. Every time I watch the pair of them just because, oh, gosh, there's so much going on. <laughs> there's so much happening. So, yeah, no, it would definitely be worth the revisit later. And maybe by that point, our opinions would have changed a
0: bit. Well, we'll see if they ever get this adventurous again. But <laughs> there is other music in this movie we should talk about. There is uh, a use of the opening theme from, I guess, each side. uh. On the Japanese side, they have an extended or movie version or whatever of Best Wishes. Um, that's, that's what it's titled. I think, what, Rika Matsumoto, another one of those from her?
2: Yes, it is.
0: Oh. And then on the English <laughs> side, we have Black and White with Aaron Bowman and Joe Phillips. Um, mm-hmm. Let's start on the Japanese side again. Uh, what do you think about this version of Best Wishes? To be honest, that, that overall song has kind of faded from memory for me. I'm sure if I heard it, I would recognize it, but... Maybe, I don't know, Anne, what do, you, what do you think about all of that what I just said there?
2: Well, I, I agree with you because Best Wishes is one of those where when I stop listening to it, I forget how it starts. And that's, I'm never sure if that's a strength or a weakness, but like that first verse, like it's, there's something about it that's just a little less catchy, a little less memorable. And then as it goes on, as the song goes on, and the chorus hits, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember the song. And then suddenly the second verse is like, yeah, I love this. And the, and again, it could be a bit of personal taste, but it's definitely a song that, like, it just gets more fun and more fun. And it's definitely Rika Matsumoto being like all of her best Satoshi singing skills on display. But Yeah, it's one that is really easy to like suddenly fade into the background and you forget that you like this song. (laughs) So I definitely see what you're thinking. And of course, if you if you just never liked the song, I imagine it's probably not one of your best loved for that reason. It takes you a while to get onto the bandwagon and then stay on the bandwagon. As for the movie itself, I listen to them side by side. I listen to them one from white mix to black mix. I, I'm not sure there actually was a different mix between all three. It's, it, they all sound the same. So it could be that it is the same song in the TV series, just extended. It could be that there might be some slight mixing going on between black and white, but I, I didn't notice any key differences. And I don't see any other than Best Wishes movie edit. I don't see any credit differences between hmm. the three. So I, I imagine they're all the same song.
0: Well, after we talk about the English one, I guess we could maybe just decide whether that was a missed opportunity or anything. But time for me to fess up. I kind of forgot to re-listen to that off the uh, Japanese soundtrack album before this discussion. So I'm really blanking on what <laughs> Best Wishes sounds like here. So kind of unfortunately. Uh. But if we go to the English side, there is uh, Black and White – And as I mentioned before, it's performed by Aaron Bowman, who we talked about a lot during uh, the last couple episodes, most notably the Zoroark movie where she does the end theme there. And Joe Phillips, who unfortunately I tried to do a little digging on Google to figure out who this person is. We're not 100% sure because there's there's one L in the credits in Phillips, but I also found a 2L Phillips musician – so, unfortunately we're not entirely sure who precisely this is, but um, you know, because of the way things are released on the English side, um the TV version was relatively short and then this version is extended. Now, I do recall when I first heard this on the chorus, they changed things up a little bit in terms of order because they extended that part too because I think it's like Um, Like in the TV version, it says, you know, it's not always black and white, which is totally the wrong tones there, but (laughs) oh well, it's beautiful. (laughs) But uh, in the uh, movie version, you do get that. But first you get it's uh, not always right or wrong, as long as your spirit's strong. So that kind of threw me in there. But I think I've gotten used to knowing that's going to happen in the movie version. (laughs) Uh, And do you have any thoughts on this one?
2: I don't have a ton of thoughts. I do like the song a lot. It's it's not one of my favorite English openings, but I, I do quite like it. Um, because I own the movie not in English, it, it's not an opportunity that I have often to to watch that opening credit sequence and hear the song and really give a lot of analysis to. So I don't I don't have that same like disconnect that you seem to have between the series and the movie and like the little changes they might have made. But yeah, I, I I definitely think it works and it plays and it fits. I but I don't have many thoughts beyond that. Sorry.
0: Yeah, I do think it definitely works for that uh, that opening sequence where they're battling in different places around the town. I, mm-hmm. That is one of my, I think one of my favorite opening sequences in some of the later movies, as far as what's uh, actually content wise in there, because there is sort of a coherent narrative going through it and whatnot, and we oh get to gosh, see what yeah. happens with with all three of the main characters. So that that's actually a very nice scene, I would say. And the music, at least on the English side, the form I remember, does works fairly well there. But we had mentioned earlier that, you know, they unlike the ending themes for the opening themes, there don't really appear to be any like musical differences on either side. Do you think that was maybe a missed opportunity or what do you think they should have or could have done there?
2: I am honestly not sure because I feel like to not even have different mixes is such a bizarre miss that it almost has to be a deliberate choice (laughs) you know like because that's just such obvious low-hanging fruit so i'm not sure and for my part like definitely on best wishes but also on black and white like best wishes is just so perfectly timed to what's happening like visually like musically like the sound, like, every beat syncs up. Like, I could talk for a straight hour on that opening scene and how the music works with it if we really wanted to. So I almost wonder if, like, they decided not to have, say, that same problem that you noticed with Sora and Koi, where the two songs are slightly different lengths or, you know, maybe hit their peaks in slightly different places. I think maybe it's entirely possible that for that scene, they're like, let's just keep everything the same and make it perfect. And maybe the English side decided to follow suit. I, d- I don't know really, but I-, I almost feel like it has to be deliberate just because otherwise, why wouldn't you do two different, at least mixes, if not full compositions? Cause you did for everything else.
0: I suppose so. I mean, I'm not musically talented enough to have any idea where you would go with that. Um, So, but I did want to throw that out there because I think that's kind of an interesting thing. Now, you did mention that uh, some of the, or you did allude to that some of the background music or background score is different. That is the case, although there is a fair amount of overlap. If you bought the, uh, the score for this movie, it comes on two CDs and there are some tracks... That uh, differ between uh, the <laughs> two versions of the movie. Now, unfortunately, oh, some
2: tracks, friend, there are two different composers who composed entirely different scores.
0: <laughs> I guess I didn't notice. I think this is some folks out there have complained that the like the score is too low in the English dub. Once um, TPCI takes over, and maybe that's part of the reason I didn't notice that. But I do have the the two album set. But yeah. Um, so who were those two composers, Anne?
2: Okay, so by by all accounts that I could dig up, which were a little limited, it was kind of an interview with Toho Nation and a lot of IMDb, but um, white was given to Kazuhito Sauguchi, um, and it seems that black was given to Akihumi Tada. They've both done a lot of um, anime music and some stuff for Pokemon as well. And this is the first Pokemon movie not to be scored by... a the same person who scored all the previous movies. He gave it off to the two of them and let them go nuts. Um, and the difference is White by Sawaguchi, like, is a lot more sedate, and there's, like, a lot more flute music, like, when they're doing the history book pop-up scenes, whereas Akifumi almost has a more traditional Pokemon style of composing. It's a lot more bombastic. There's a lot more bold instruments, and it's a lot louder. <laughs> so... It's very interesting to watch key scenes of the movie, like where, where Ash is kind of dying of hypothermia or something. Like those are very different musical choices. Again, the history book pop up scene. I think there are some tracks that are similar, like, like, you know, World of Pokemon and the like that are just always the same in the opening theme. But, you know, there is a different theme for Reshiram. There's a different theme for Zekrom. And on the whole, the each one composed their own score and it's kind of fun to look through and see where they vary very differently than the others
0: i guess i'll have to pay i knew there were at least some tracks that had different versions. i didn't realize that they were that different but maybe after seeing the uh the pokemon the movie white uh in theaters i didn't pay quite as much attention to the other version of it when listening or watching it through so yeah i suppose that's
2: Sorry, I was just going to say, because I don't own it in English, and I've not had the opportunity as often to get to watch it in English, I've often wondered if if they kept that the same, if if they did use the two separate scores for the two separate movies. I can't imagine that they wouldn't.
0: At least in places, I assume they did, but I'd have to double check there.
2: Yeah, like that would be something to, to find out if anyone knows, because I've been very curious about that. I've not heard a lot of chatter about it, so I sometimes I wondered if maybe they didn't, and that's why there's not as much commentary on two separate scores.
0: A good question for you folks at home out there. Mm-hmm. Any particular score cues you wanted to call out here?
2: I really love um, that – who is it? The mayor guy who's um, at at the very start of the battle competition. He's got the Pokemon that uh, hook up into his organ and the music starts playing. I really like both of those organ themes. They're very different, but I like them both. It's kind of a similar situation that we have with the ending themes where it's like, I feel like I really love the one until I listen to the other. And I feel like I need them both to get a full picture of this movie. But – I love the flute themes and the very kind of not Celtic, but very like pastoral and period piece that goes on um, in the white, the reshiram side during a lot of the flashbacks and the history portions and the kind of more sedate, quiet and almost no score at some points when like Ash is nearly dying and all that. But then again, I also really love like the very powerful music that happens when Rushiram and Zekrom are battling that Tata has during the black version so uh, yeah there there's a lot of differences uh it there's so much going on I-
0: <laughs> okay well i think that covers pretty much all the musical aspects i i guess i you know i had thought that i had paid relatively good attention to this but Anne, i think i think you really schooled me on this one so
2: that that would be a first i usually feel you come into this with like Amazing memory to recall obscure vocal, vocal, or, or not vocal, musical pieces from a movie, and I'm having to catch up. So it would be a first.
0: As far as our next episode in this series, of course, that's going to be the Keldeo movie, or Kiram versus the Sword of Justice, I believe is the English name of movie 15. And the matchup there on the Japanese side, we have Rolla with memories. And on the English side, we have Jess Turner performing It's All Inside of You. I I, uh, had an opportunity to interview Jess a ways back, so we're going to have some information there. I'll have to check and see what she's been up to since. But um, while the Caldeo movie might not be one of the most loved movies, I still think we can have a very good discussion about the music there and uh, look forward to seeing that. Uh, In the meantime, Anne, thank you so much for being on.
2: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: And this has been Stephen Reich with Anne from PB Podcast discussing the music of the Victini movie. All right, folks. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest Podcast. We'd appreciate it if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to PokePress at gmail.com or follow at PokePress on Twitter.
1: All the way through, so if I have like four episodes that day or something, I'll do, let's say, um, I'm just trying to think of a character, um, like, um, ah, like Teddy Ursa, I would do like,
0: all right, one more quick question about Mallowetta. Uh, I suppose it has two forms. It has the uh, the aria form you can see right here and then it has the pirouette form. Do you have a preference to one or the other? Oh,
1: that's a great question. <laughs> I have um the I have the pirouette form like uh at home, but um I I don't think I have a, a preference. Is that terrible? Do
0: that, you? Uh, I'm not sure. I I would like to Well, I have a I think they do more with the the, uh, the aria form in terms of merchandising um, yeah, and other stuff like that.
1: That they definitely do have more for the other one, so it's interesting. But
0: well, that's really awesome that you got to, got to perform as that character, even if it was only for technically part of it.